brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors, or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Here's what's coming up on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Al Franken. I always love an opportunity to bring up that story about Al Franken calling me a dyke. Joel, you haven't heard this one because you're kind of new. Oh, that, that took uh, all I, of 10 seconds to say on the air. I will be sharing <laughs> this story. Hey, it happened live on, on, our radio, on our radio airwaves. Uh, and uh, at this, it gives you an idea of the kind of personality type that a guy like Al Franken has. Alpha male? Al no, I wouldn't even say alpha male. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to call him Al Franken-groper, um, Al Franken-pig. Um, but uh, no, it just kind of gives you a sense of the sort of um, sense of privilege and narcissism that the guy is all about. Um, which I think explains a lot of, of the uh, people you see being exposed by women who claim that they were sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. Uh, in the case of Al Franken, it was groping a woman and stuffing his tongue down her throat, which just makes me want to, what do they call it, verp? Vomit and burp at the same time is called a verp. That's that, new it, to me. It makes me want to verp, people. <laughs> just the thought of that just makes me want to verp. 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 Yeah. That's what the kid, the little kids say, verp. Uh, okay. I think that's the word. I'll go with you it. You can look it up. Gosh, I hope it's what that's what it means. I hope you don't go to the Urban Dictionary and it means something just horrible and I'm going to have to apologize. But I think that's what it means. I've heard kids, little kids say it. So... Are you looking it up? I am. You I are looking it up. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about that on the program. It, it essentially is a burp that turns into... Yeah. Out. See? Yeah. That's exactly. Not to get too So um, we'll talk about that and the fact that um, the liberals want to have their cake and eat it on this. Tammy Baldwin wants to keep the $15,000 El Franken gave to her um, and the assistance from the... Get the, get the name of his pack. The Midwest Values Pack. So Midwest Values is apparently, um, you know, using pejoratives to describe gay women um, stuffing your tongue down a woman's throat when she doesn't want you and groping her breasts while she's unconscious. That's apparently what Midwest Values stands for when it comes to Al Franken groper. That's what I was taught when I was growing up. Uh, of course you were. Oh yeah, of course you were. Fifteen thousand dollars. She's taken Randy Bryce, the Democratic candidate running against Paul Ryan, District One. He's taken fifteen hundred. 
$100. He just went on Twitter today, probably the, the worst case of political timing ever, and bragged about how he knows Al Franken and how proud he is to know Al Franken. Uh, he took $1,500 from the Midwest Values Pack. So anyway, we'll talk about that in the program. Ron Johnson's coming up here shortly um, as everybody was losing their mind about the Wall Street Journal article that nearly nobody read and only read paraphrasing of. Um, you read between the lines of that Wall Street Journal article, and it's a it's a little easier to understand uh, when you hear Ron Johnson today. I had a chance to talk to him about an hour ago uh, on tax reform, on what he's really trying to do. Is is Ron Johnson trying to strategize a way to tube tax reform? No, um, but you'll listen. You'll hear from him himself. So, uh, and Jed Sanborn is going to slide in uh, at the end of the program as well, and we'll chat about some things. Also, that OIR report is out about Madison Police. And um, it's it's not too damning. Is that the four hundred thousand? That's the four hundred thousand dollar report, which oh, basically says, "Yeah, Madison Police you do a pretty decent job." <laughs> Shocking. Um, but anyway, we'll talk a bit about that on the show as well. Um, what what is my time out here so we can get the Ron Johnson interview done properly? Pretty much in about pretty now. Pretty much now. Yeah, that's what you're saying. There we go. You nailed it. Stuck the landing. It's called Walking Up the Post. Now, that would be if I talk to the very end of the bump music, right as the bump music ends. But no. Um, oh, one other thing we're going to get to on the program as well, and that is how when, when, state, when the state of Wisconsin accepts federal money, what that ultimately means and how that limits our ability to govern ourselves. I, I do want to get to this great study that has been produced by the Badger Institute as well on the program. But when we come back, Senator Ron Johnson talks tax reform. Welcome to the program, Senator Ron Johnson, who's standing by on the phone. Uh, Senator, you have you've have have caused quite a lot of um, fright, terror, and conversation with the Wall Street Journal article that was published, indicating that you would be a vo- a no vote on this tax reform bill. What's going on on this version? So let me explain this. And by the way, I didn't, didn't mean to frighten people. Uh, hopefully, people have enough confidence in me that I'm trying to dramatically improve. Uh, this piece of legislation. But, Vicki, this is what I'm fighting for. It's, it's what the folks who wrote the framework of Republican tax reform acknowledged when they said we need to make American businesses more competitive globally, which is why we had to reduce the corporate rate to 20% when the rest of the world is somewhere around 23 right now. But in doing so, we couldn't leave any businesses behind, the past two entities. So they said they were going to pass a 25% pass-through tax rate. Now, who are we talking about? Who am I fighting for? I'm fighting for the, the manufacturer that employs most people in, in a small town, the, the kind of manufacturer that uh, maybe was started by somebody's grandfather, passed on to their, their father, and now, now the, the kids are kind of running the business. It's, it's maybe 10 to 50 to $100 million worth of business. Uh, it is the employment for a city. It's the kind of manufacturer that when it gets bought out by a big C corporation that has all this hoarded cash, the C corp is just buying out a competitor or transferring production to a larger, more modern facility. Those are the people that are, are, are really le- getting left behind because of both the House and the Senate version. Uh, they're just not addressing it. They, they are not bringing that pass-through rate down to 25%. It's more like 30 to, it's really like 32 to 35% plus the 3.8% Obamacare tax as well. So they're being ignored. They, they don't have powerful lobbyists here in Washington, D.C. And I, I'm one of the few people that... Uh, 
because I, I, I operated in that world for 30 years. I, I, I know those, those types of businesses. They supplied me. They were my customers. Uh, I'm about the only guy fighting for them currently, but, but I've got a lot of people rallying to my side here, and I've got the attention of, of the House, the Senate, the White House. I just got done with a meeting with uh, Gary Cohen. I'll be meeting with Steve Mnuchin. The president called me last night. Speaker Ryan called me last night. So it, I, I, I'm hopeful we can fix this problem so those individuals aren't left behind so they can continue to compete effectively globally themselves as well as domestically against the, the big C-Corps that are getting a 20% tax break. You're saying essentially that the bill that's being talked about on the Senate isn't the final product yet. You're trying no. to make the final product include relief for the pass-throughs. Yeah, and maybe people freaked out because the House voted on their bill, I think, today, or, or they mm-hmm. will vote on it. We're not scheduled to vote on ours till after Thanksgiving. So I wanted to step up the plate now to let people know this is not acceptable. Hey, people, pay attention. This is You're doing real harm to the American economy because, Vicki, those are the businesses that those owners, they love. They put their entire heart and soul in those businesses. They innovate. They build. They create jobs. You know, there are economic studies that show that all the job creation, net-net, is with startup businesses in the first couple of years. You know, those are the pastor entities I'm talking about. Well, so, we do know that, that the business, in this according to the Wall Street Journal, um, business income split roughly between the pass-throughs and corporate income. So you can't leave out some relief for a significant contributor to business income, which, of course, is a significant contributor to job growth. And and to your point, a huge number of jobs are created by those smaller businesses that we're talking about. Um, the, the question, I think, on my mind as well is what I saw in the Wall Street Journal article was seemingly two ideas. Um, one was just lower the pass-through rate. So there actually is a guarantee of 25% because pass-through businesses do think they're getting a 25% rate in the House version of the bill. And that doesn't appear to actually comport with reality. The other thing was uh, an idea that you had, which is to tax corporations in the same way the pass-through entities are taxed. And I think that might in, that, that might be a, a bigger lift for you than just trying to get the rate lowered a bit. And I am not pushing that at this point in time. I did talk to Gary Tacone. He likes the idea. Looking at that as phase two, but that would probably take a couple of years to even implement. So I'm, I'm not pushing that concept, although that is the, the solution long-term. Treat all businesses the same. Pastor entities, tax business income at the ownership level like we do all these pastor entities as well. So that, that would completely solve the problem, but we don't have time for that. So Right now, I'm just trying to address this. The problem is, uh, in terms of the, you know, even within pastors, the, the very small folks, and then the larger ones that do compete globally and against C-Corps, that's a lot of income. That's about a trillion dollars worth of income. So if you drop their rates 15%, that's $1.5 trillion over 10 years. And, and I think, personally, we foolishly constrained ourselves with this $1.5 trillion budget restraint in terms of static score when you realize that this just boosting growth a little bit, like 0.4% makes up that $1.5 trillion. You, you go to one, one or more than 1% growth, in other words, from 2 to 3%, and we've averaged more than 3% growth since World War II. That includes recessions. Adds 2 to $3 trillion to, to federal coffers. Even the meager economic growth we've had since 2009, last year we, we had $1.2 trillion more in revenue than we did in 2009 with meager economic growth. The year before was 1.2 or 1.1. So that's $2.3 trillion more revenue in just two years 
with meager economic growth. And you're talking about the static score. That's what the CBO requires. Yeah. It's, it's not a dynamic score. It doesn't take into account that these are growth. intended to be stimulative. Um, and a half a percent, let's just say you get a half a percent extra of economic growth, you've paid for the tax cuts. Yeah, that, that, that more than pays for the, the 1.5. I think they're, they're projecting 0.4% to pay for the 1.5. I mean, if we can't get that out of the American economy, that, that's because we haven't done the regulatory relief. We've done a fair amount. We've stopped overregulation. That's one of the reasons you have, the, I think, the optimism shown in the stock market. But we have to have pass this pro-growth tax reform as well. So, you know, l- listen, I, I'm, I'm not a no, never getting to a yes. I'm a no using that position to fix this bill so I can so I can vote on pro-growth tax reform. So, something you said in the in the journal article, in the Wall Street Journal article, was that you have been hollering about this for months and months and months and haven't gotten anybody to pay attention. And yet, um, you know, when you talk to people like Cohen, when you talk to some of the people who are involved in in tax policy, they hear your idea and they say, well, geez, Ron, that makes a lot of sense. So how can, I mean, how has it been that, you know, two months, three months, five months of talking about this and it takes a Wall Street Journal article to, you know, sort of snap people's necks into attention? Well, it's, I think people took a look at it and went, you know, it's really more than we can chew right now. We're biting off more than we chew with that. It's just, just too paradigm shifting. Let, let's actually get something passed and maybe we'll look at that as a second step. You know, also have, I have the problem not invented here syndrome. Uh, it wasn't an idea from uh, the chairman of uh, either the House Ways and Means or the Senate Finance. So, uh, you know, there's, you know, let's, that's true in just about any entity. It's true here in the United States Congress as well. So, How many people have actually operated a business like you're talking about in the uh, United States Senate um, and actually have personal understanding of how this works? Well, I don't think anybody's operated a manufacturer like I did in, in kind of this size range, you know, where, where you really do have a lot of manufacturers that are owner-operated, you know, first, second, third generation. So, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty unique animal from that standpoint, not in the Senate. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. But probably not that many people in the house either. So, all right. So, I mean, that that's why... So so what? The chairman of the uh, of the committee didn't come up with the idea. You said not this bill. This bill that's being talked about in the press right now is not going to be the bill that's voted on. No, we're, we're, you know, Senate Finance Committee, quite honestly, has changed it even from the mark I'm, I'm re, re, remarking about, okay? So, and, and obviously, it's different from the House, so it's also going to go to conference committee. So, you know, as long as we're working toward a solution, and I've got pretty good confidence that the final product coming out of conference will be satisfactory, that will solve the problem, you know, you know I, I, I might be willing to you know, depending on the guarantees, I, I don't have a whole lot of trust and faith in people around here, truthfully. I've got a lot of reasons for that. But uh, if, if I can be assured that uh, this will be fixed in conference, I might be able to be prodded to, to vote for something less than perfect. Uh, or it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be far from perfect. But, again, I am trying to improve this bill 
so that it works for every American. All right. On this static score, how do you find savings on the static score? And when we talk about that, a static score is basically the CBO rule that says every tax cut actually is a, is subtracted from the budget. It is if, you know, nothing ever happens once you enact a tax cut that somehow you have to find a way to tax in another place to make up for the dollars. That, which is bizarre um, because it actually doesn't pan out in reality, but that's, that's the rule. So where do you find the money, uh, you know, statically to satisfy the CBO score, or do you? Well, now, now you're asking the hard questions. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's always easy to give tax cuts. It's always easy to spend more money. It's always very difficult to figure out, you know, how, how do you pay for it so you don't explode the deficit. And, you know, what we're talking about right now, we're also having discussions potentially with uh, triggers. If we really don't get the kind of revenue we expect, that we roll back some of the tax cuts. Um, you know, Vicky, you realize I never, I never promised people I would cut their taxes. I, I promised them I wouldn't increase their taxes, which is kind of one of the problems I have with the, the basic tax reform. Is there are going to be, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a tax cut. I've got a problem with that in, in these bills as well. Not the way I would approach this. But again, that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to let my vision of the perfect be the enemy of the good. But the the the, re, the fact that we are leaving behind. Those types of businesses that, that are pillars of their community, that the economic drivers in so many small towns of Wisconsin that, that drive innovation and job growth, uh, that's just that's something I can't accept. And so I'm, I'm working hard, and I think you know, the, the proof is talking to the president, the speaker, Cohn, Mnuchin, uh, I'm firing all cylinders here now to get this, this problem fixed. You, you, you said that it was $1.5 trillion is what these types of businesses generate to the bottom line of the U.S. economy? That, that's it's about a trillion dollars per year of taxable income, and so you take that over ten years, and if you're cutting their taxes by about fifteen percent from the thirty-five percent down, well, you'd probably be, let's say ten percent. It'd be a trillion dollars of revenue you've got to try and make up if you do it for everybody. Now, again, you start literally talking about well, what what businesses are really truly pass through income that has to compete internationally, globally, as well as against C corps, and you start reducing that universe of, of people you really want to give that that treatment that will allow them to compete. It says here, <laughs> the Senate bill, and, and I'll wrap up after this, the Senate bill uh, has $1.3 trillion in gross tax rate cuts to corporations and $362 billion in gross tax cuts for pass-through entities. You know, as I'm thinking about that number, $362 billion, you could double that by just simply reducing the budgets for federal agencies probably by 10% across the board. And I mean, if, in fact, you're talking about the necessary static calculation, you've probably come up with, with the necessary income or rather necessary revenue to, to pay for this oh, I hate I'd to love, use I, I would love to have I hate to use that on the table. phrasing yeah I know but I mean the idea that this is too expensive um, we have seen uh, agency budgets explode by somewhere in the neighborhood of 36 uh, percent since Barack Obama took office so there is some there's some play in those budget numbers there but um, I just wanted to, to get some clarification on this because I think people I, I they've been emailing me you know is Ron Johnson really going to tube tax reform and my sense was you weren't and, uh, and so it's great to get some clarification. Thank you very much for joining me today. We should mention as well, you said um, uh, in an email that you were going to be on the Larry Kudlow program. So when's that going to air? Because I'd love people to watch that. That'll be Saturday. This is on radio, uh, WABC Radio, Saturday morning, 930. All Central. right. And by the way, Kudlow was the guy who, uh, who, who actually created this tax reform idea in the first place for President Trump. Uh, so be listening for that as well. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks very much for joining me. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. 
get this. I was um, in my notifications on Facebook, like, you know, you want to do from time to time, although I don't do it very often just because <sighs> there's so many and it's annoying. Um, but I checked out some of the notifications on the last picture I put up of my dog, Cedric. And I had him. Uh, I had his snood. I got his snood in the mail yesterday. What's a snood? A snood uh, is a scarf and a hood. Oh. A snood. Oh. Do you like it? What? Snood. Why? Perhaps it's pronounced snood. No, it's probably snood. It's probably snood. I don't. I like calling it a snood. And now I keep. I can't stop myself from saying the word. Okay. You know. Every... Okay. So, so why do you have a snood? Well. Because my pit bull's ears get cold when he goes uh, outside, so he won't dog, le- he Mickey. won't let me put a hat on him. Uh, so I got a little snowsuit for him, and now I got a snood, and it's a it's a dinosaur snood. So it's got little whatever those things are. Um, I don't know what those are called. Spines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's got you know it's knitted. Sorry, you're emasculating your dog and keeping it warm at the same time. <laughs> Uh, he, my dog identifies as a dinosaur, a Cedric sore. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, I put the picture up last night on my station Facebook page, and this is what I got as a comment. Before we get to David Johnson, we're going to talk about serious stuff here with David Johnson. Sorry, pit bull lowlife. Regardless of how much you love this dog, he, she can't be trusted around other dogs and especially small children. You know, if you are actually angered by pictures of my dogs on Facebook, you got issues you need to address. And and I would start by um, not being on my Facebook page. So, yeah, I, I, I put the post of this. Um, I mean, who does this? How many posts do you have today? I'm like cycling. I know you have to click on the picture things. of the dog with the snood on, and you can. And I deleted it, and I put the post. I put the picture of the post up because I mean, anyone that weird and and um, bizarre is probably a troll. So anyway, so um, <laughs> what is this? I don't thing? know. Isn't it cute? I'm just looking at the picture now. What? what? All right, now we're going to bring David Johnson in from Strategic <laughs> Vision. We're going to talk politics, but David has a dog. David, do you dress your dog up? Every now and then. Da-da-da! <laughs> it's what dog people do. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, she's a Beagle Jack Russell mix. Aww. Oh, I bet that's a cute puppy. Um, and I have a Pitbull mix, probably. We don't know. And, um, and a Siberian Husky. So, anyway. Here's why we've got David Johnson, strategic, strategic can't even speak. Strategic visions on the program, um, boy. I don't. I. I don't even. I don't even know what to say, David. Today, um, we now get to rename Al Franken to Al Franken Groper, and there are actually people in the at least celebrity left calling for him to resign. So we've got the Republicans trying to figure out a way to to you know make everybody next year run uh, with Roy Moore as a running mate. Uh, and now apparently we've potentially got the Democrats making all Democrats run with Al Franken as a running mate. What the hell is going on? Complete chaos. And for Al Franken, it looks like it's getting worse. More and more women are coming forward. I know. Melanie Morgan being another one that she came out and said he he stalked and assaulted me. 
Um, and so she's at MediaEqualizer.com. If you want to read Melanie's story, this woman, now another, now additional women are coming forward. Um, you know, earlier today, we had Senator Tammy Baldwin. She took $15,000 from the Midwest Values Pack. Um, I'm not sure if she has made the decision to return that money yet or not, but as of when I last checked, she hadn't. Um, you know, I mean, the Democrats who are comfortable campaigning with people like Bill Clinton, um, you got Bob Menendez in a mistrial. This guy's entire investigation kicked off with, with um, you know, somebody who said he's trying to get underage hookers visas into the country. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, it's like, I don't know, Peyton Place or something just, just vomited all over American politics. Definitely. And I mean, that's why we're seeing voters want to throw everybody out at this point. They don't care which party. They want them all gone. I think that's probably true. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of party fidelity um, that's that's enthusiastically being expressed right now. So, I mean, if there were party fidelity, then just about every single Republican of any note in America that's called on Roy Moore to step aside would have had an impact by now. Exactly. And we're not seeing that impact. In fact, we're seeing some Republicans are angry at these calls for Roy Moore to resign. And since it's coming from the party leadership, that makes them more likely to vote for Roy Moore. I know, but here's the thing. That is a that is a minor or a minority contingent of the party, but in, I mean, not an insubstantial minority contingent. And so now you're putting the Republicans in a position where they have to ab- abandon all high ground. Um, so, if, I mean, if you're out there saying, oh, Roy Moore is OK, well, then it's really hard for you to say Al Franken's not. Exactly. But some of them are trying to do it, and there's no way you can. If one's no good, both of them are no if, yep, good. Yep, if you believe if you believe the claims made by one, again, she's got photographic evidence. Um, so they might say, well, there's there's more evidence there, and you disbelieve the claims made by what seven now others. Right. Um, it's I mean, it's really difficult to maintain any kind of you know any kind of standard here. So so the question is ultimately though, how does this impact the the work? that needs to take place in D.C. It seems like they're not even paying attention to anything going on outside the ballgame. They're not. I mean, everything's now focused on the next shoe dropping. Who's going to be named next? Which is going to be the worst scandal? Wouldn't you think that would make the Republicans want to work really hard to get as much stuff done as possible because they might lose the majority next year? You would think so. And right now, it's looking like it could be a Democratic wave. It does. If you look at these poll numbers. Right. And, and, and Alabama notwithstanding, which um, Larry Sabato just moved to leans Democrat, but not not overwhelmingly Democrat. And there are some polls that show Roy Moore is still ahead by two or two or three. I think the highest he's ahead is allegedly by six. Um, this isn't a race where he should be ahead by 15. But still, I but mean, he was in trouble before this even came out. Remember, he's never been extremely popular in Alabama. Even when he was elected chief justice of the Supreme Court, when Mitt Romney was carrying the state massively, he only won by two points. Yeah, so, I mean, but but even with Alabama, Alabama, he could win Alabama. He still could. What do you, I mean, and, then how, so, so what's politics then? If there's no morality and there's no character and there's no ethical guidelines, because this is what it seems like the hashtag war people out there want, is Purilinsky, no ethics. You know, if they're going to do it to us, we're going to do the exact same thing back to them. But it obliterates any argument for one party being better than another. 
Oh, it does. It takes the moral high ground away from everybody. Uh, oh, it, absolutely. Nobody has it. So, yeah. Who, so who has it? It isn't Donald Trump. It isn't Jeff Sessions. It isn't the Republican Congress. It isn't a tax reform proposal. And I'm not exactly sure what the what particularly on the right. I don't understand what's going on the left. They seem to be hell bent on eating their own. But particularly on the right. I'm not I'm not seeing the end game here. I'm not seeing what the what the upshot is besides making Mitch McConnell miserable. And I'm not sure how that gets legislation passed um, with a 60 vote rule in effect any better than Mitch McConnell does it. It doesn't. It just creates more chaos and the potential that you'll have people who are less knowledgeable on the workings of the Senate. And that could tie things up even more than it is under Mitch McConnell. See, that's the, I mean, this is the thing. McConnell's, and, and I will say this, and I've said this publicly many, many times, I think he's a lousy leader, but I think he's not a half-bad tactician. And if you had potentially somebody who is a little bit more charismatic, somebody who knew policy better, somebody who is much more ideologically driven on policy, and you had McConnell working the tactics, I mean, we who knows what might have already taken place here. Um, but the but the big problem isn't McConnell as much as it is that sixty vote rule. I mean, David, the liberal Republicans are people like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and John McCain that are always throwing themselves on the railroad tracks. You know, threatening to to self immolate. That's what that's the problem, and that doesn't seem to be what hashtag war. Um, is targeting right now. They're not going after McCain or Collins or Murkowski or any of these guys who who always seem to be, you know, the Eeyores of the Senate. They just seem to be wanting to make it difficult to get anything done. Exactly. I mean, they just want more of this chaos. They, they want like chaos. More. The chaos is somehow, there, there's some meaning in this chaos for them. It is. It justifies their existence. I don't understand that. What do you mean it justifies their existence? The more that they can uh, cite the chaos that's going on, nothing getting done, it gives them more uh, arguments for their existence. For their own, for their own um, count, brand of counter chaos. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, is there? D- does anybody here have an idea of of what ultimately is supposed to be functioning government? I mean, this doesn't. It. it I suppose not doing anything, not doing anything. I mean, certainly better than doing bad things, but not doing anything is also not doing good things. Well, it's not what they were elected to do. No. And so I would I would also wonder if anybody's taking into consideration the fact that, um, you know, we've got federal court appointments that still need to be confirmed, that we've had a number of federal court appointments, very good ones from the Federalist Society list that have been confirmed. There's the potential for another Supreme Court justice uh, to be nominated. We've got tax reform, um, you know, some something has to happen with health care. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand the purpose of just chaos for chaos's sake. I understand that Trump is a disruptive force, but Trump isn't being nearly as disruptive right now. No, he's not. And the thing is, they're still looking for any reason to desert him. They're angry because he won. 
Okay. And I'm from your Republican establishment, like uh, John McCain and others. They're trying to find a reason. That's true. But they're running out of reasons to keep opposing Trump just because he won the election. The Democrats are even running out of reasons to keep opposing Trump just because he won the elections. If next year the Democrats take control of the Senate, and I think the House is probably going to stay at least nominally in Republican hands— and and let's say Trump doesn't try to work with Democrats, and he may not, and absolutely nothing gets done. I guess, you know, the worst case scenario is Democrats get to confirm judges. But at the, you know, in terms of legislation, simply nothing will happen except maybe Republicans will cave to the sensibilities of Democrats in the Senate and we might get some bad stuff on the books. In the meantime, you know, that will just simply make Donald Trump even less effective than a handful of Republican obstructionists are trying to make him as, le- as least effective as he could be now. Not only that, and I don't think we'll get any judges uh, confirmed. I think they perhaps take Donald's book and hold everything up thinking that they're going to win in 2020. Yeah. What about Joe Biden allegedly leading Donald Trump? Joe, Uncle Hansy, Biden leading Donald Trump in a hypothetical head-to-head polling um, for 2020. Well, it's hypothetical right now. We haven't had any campaigning. And look, I've always said this. I think Biden would have been a stronger Democrat against Trump than Hillary Clinton. That said, it's going to be hard for Biden to run and win, or for any Democrat for that matter, if the economy is really doomed strong. True, which is, again, the importance of tax reform. And by 2020, whatever impact of tax reform will have fully kicked in. It should be, and it should be something that Donald Trump can run on if it ever gets passed. If it ever gets passed, and that's the question. Um, what's your prediction, if, if you're looking at the tea leaves right now, how many seats um, go to Republicans, you know, how many seats g- get lost by Republicans? Do you think we're going to lose the majority? I think we could potentially lose the majority in both the House and the Senate. Okay, well, that would suck. Um, because then the then the Democrats will get legislation passed, because Donald Trump will that, want to do something... That is a huge risk because Donald Trump is somebody who's action-oriented. He will want to do something. He will want to sign bills. All the Republicans ever had to do, by the way, is put bills on the guy's desk. And he'd sign them. And he would have signed them. Any bill. Put the bill on his desk and he would have signed it. Ignore the tweets. You know, stop, you know, diving into a bottle of booze in a corner somewhere and put bills on the guy's desk and he would have signed every one of them. Every but one these of them. people can't. Well, the Democrats will. They'll put bills on his desk, and he'll probably sign them. That, or they'll investigate and call for impeachment. Indeed. Thanks for jumping on the program, David. Good to have you. Anytime. See you later. We'll take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, so I hope the state of Wisconsin is paying attention and still working on that competitive federalism looking for ways to extract us from the control arm of the federal government because you think it's chaotic now? Um, Imagine what happens if Democrats take control of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Imagine what happens if it's the Senate Democrats that get to pack the federal court with liberal judges. I mean, these are people who... NBC News, for instance, yesterday, they are the communication arm 
of the Democratic Party, the mainstream media, the national network broadcasts, entertained a guy yesterday who said that having children is immoral because it's killing the planet. The Democrats have gone full unhinged psycho on America. The guy who is saying that is saying that because, you know, we're going to have a population explosion. We should promote abortion. We should have forced sterilization. Um, uh, So in the name of saving the planet, you know, eugenics. Wow. And NBC that the NBC anchors is tolerating this like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Wow. Five years ago, that would have been too extreme to even give five seconds of broadcast time to that. That's the Democratic Party now, a group of people who actually entertain conversations about population control. I'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back to the program. Um, here's a question. Do the people who... Who are out there screaming, you know, destroy the establishment, hashtag war. Do they, do they mean Republican Party? I, I mean, I honestly don't know. Um, because hashtag war isn't about making the Republican Party better. Or Roy Moore wouldn't be a candidate in Alabama. He'd have a different candidate in Alabama. Wouldn't necessarily be Luther Strange. But... So I don't think that's what it's about. I think what it's about is non-Democrats or maybe ex-Democrats who are very dissatisfied, maybe the ex-Democrats who are dissatisfied with the progressive taint of the Democratic Party now and non-Democrats, but not necessarily Republicans who just hate the Republican Party. And you want it destroyed. I think... Um, because otherwise, I'm not under. I'm not not really sure what's going on here. I, I mean, is it, it? It can't be about McConnell. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't think he should be leadership. But what is Roy Moore's sending Roy Moore to the United States Senate? How does that stop McConnell from being Senate Majority Leader? How does it change the sixty vote rule? How does it lead toward more senators embracing the idea of limited government? How does it stop John McCain and Susan Murkowski, I'm sorry, and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, um, you know, and some of the other sticks in the mud, rhino slash liberal Republicans from thwarting efforts to do conservative legislation? I don't know. It doesn't. So it can't be about that. It has to be about something sort of at at 50,000 feet, not something at the kitchen table level. It's just, I I think, 
there's a group of, of people who are nihilistic and in some ways agree with some of the people in the, in the hashtag resistance that obliterating the system itself is the end game. Be honest about that. Be honest about that. That obliterating the system of, that we have right now and, and replacing it with what? That, but, but you want to obliterate the system. You don't want to change it. You want to see it all come crashing down. It's gonna. I don't think, it's, I don't think we're long for it. I think the system, at, this, at, at the rate we're going, is going to come crashing down. That's because nobody just wants to say, you know, we're, just gonna, we're all just going to kind of hold hands here and just get a few things done just to try to shore up some elements of this republic and this economy that would allow us to sustain what appears to be a coming civil war. Civil war. Not culture war. Civil war. Because that seems like the folks who are out there screaming, you know, hashtag war. I mean, that's their hashtag on Twitter. These political activists hashtag is war. War. Not war against the progressives. Not war against the culture freaks. Not war against the people who are trying to sexualize your kids. Not war against the school systems that are dumbing down America. Not war against regulation. Just war. War against what? The system. Anarchy, nihilism. I'm not, I'm just not into that. Um, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not a nihilist. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see the upside. I could see the upside of Trump. I was able to see the upside of Trump. I don't see the upside of nihilism because it wasn't about nihilism. Trump was a disruptive force. He wasn't nihilistic. He wasn't designed to completely destroy the system of government itself. We, we, we need to make the system of government better, in my opinion, not destroy it and replace it with what? What's better than what our founding father's vision was? Because we're not going back to that by creating a vacuum of political power that allows people who have been thinking about what they would do if the system came crashing down for 50 years. And those would be the hard left radical progressives. They've got an idea for what happens when the chaos comes. There will be order made out of this chaos by the progressives. And you won't like it. And I won't like it. And it won't matter at that point because we will not have figured out how to fight back against it because instead we just decided that it was too important to just burn the house down without first thinking about what we were going to build in its place that's my that's when i look at this i that's what it looks like now maybe it's not this i hope i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but that's what it looks like not just based on alabama based on a whole lot of things I don't like Mitch McConnell either, but I wish more time were spent trying to take out people like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and John McCain and the people who are consistently watering down everything and trying to make it impossible to get anything passed, even with the absurd supermajority rule that needs to be changed that nobody wants to change. But I wish that's where our efforts were being driven. Anyway, I hope I'm wrong. We'll be right back. 
so here's, I'll try to explain sort of my view of um, the landscape. I, I, I don't think creating um, a vacuum of power that the progressives will fill is a good idea. What I actually think is the better place to put enthusiasm and energy is in, at the state level, ex- getting the states to find ways to disconnect themselves from federal control, to essentially have the states working in an ongoing capacity to make the federal government less relevant to state business, to state decisions, to state citizens. Um, I'm delighted that there is a huge, um, I shouldn't say huge, but there's a growing enthusiasm for this idea. It's called competitive federalism. And Wisconsin Policy Research Institute, which is now called the Badger Institute, and Mike Nichols is going to explain the name change here in just a sec, uh, has been working along with another great group in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, and the McIver Institute. All three of these groups in Wisconsin have been pursuing this concept of competitive federalism. And Mike is on the phone with me from Badger Institute. Good to have you. Hi, Vicki. Thanks for having me. So first, is it because WPRI sounded like a radio station name? Yeah, specifically uh, a, a radio station in Providence, Rhode Island, ah! PRI. It really, is, it really is what, if you stick it into Google, that's what people would come up with. So you get local news that, you know, the suburbs of Providence instead of what's going on in the capital in Wisconsin. So that was part of it. And, you know, we're trying to move into the, you know, into the modern era here. And it's just uh, we need something that people uh, remember and something that makes it easy for us to communicate with people on social media platforms. And we just think it's a better name. And so that people understand this is a Wisconsin-based effort. So Badger only says one thing. It says Wisconsin. So it's badgerinstitute.org. You you folks have worked on everything from transportation reform to licensure reform, um, you know, to competitive federalism, you name it. But I want to, it is on that competitive federalism that I would like to, um, to you know, bring some some issues to people's attention. If you look at the rules that govern the acceptance of federal assistance, I mean, just Mike, just the acceptance of a federal grant. Um, we don't ever we don't ever think it you know through. We say, oh, it's federal money. But if you look at, for instance, transportation grants. If you if you use federal money for a transportation project, there are all of these different rules and regulations that can drive the cost up two or even three times what just using state dollars or just using state efforts would be. And that's where we can really begin to, I think, extract ourselves and free ourselves from some of this control. Yeah, and so specifically in transportation, I mean, we still have prevailing wage at the federal level, right? So if you're and, and almost all big transportation projects have federal money, so we're paying way more money than what we would pay with normal free market conditions just because we have these, you know, and, and, and from my perspective, kind of uh, goofy kind of statist uh, regulations that force us to pay uh, more than what, the, what we should under a free market system. We had an example, actually, of an, I think it was a mile of the interstate that was done under a federal grant and a mile of the interstate that was done without a federal grant, and the cost was over twice as much. So it's stuff like that. Not to mention, then there are additional rules that you have to follow. It's, it's you know, so it's, it's the, you know, it's not just the extra cost of prevailing wage. It's types of regulation. Projects get delayed. And it's not just transportation. You can look at education. You guys have done an entire study on the federalization of the Wisconsin DPI. Try to actually just do something locally in education. We have so much federal money in education that it's very easy for the federal government to say, do what we say, or you're losing money. Yep, 
Yeah, and it's uh, so we've looked at the amount of money that uh, is actually federal money that flows through all these local state agencies. But now what we're doing is we've gone through and we've looked at all the state workers who are actually paid with federal money. And it shows that we really are just, we've really become in large extent an extension of the federal government, which means that we don't have control of our own policies over our own destiny. And so, I mean, you know, we have all kinds of numbers, you know, Vicki, but but a big one, I mean, we put out something today just in the Department of Workforce Development, 71 percent of 1,600 workers are paid with federal funds. I mean, to me, that is a, that is a shocking number, and that's the biggest one, but it's, it's almost 50 percent in DPI, you mentioned, almost 50 percent in Department of Children Families. These are, these are people paid with federal money, so they're doing federal bidding. Yep. That's it. Why is 71% of the Department of Workforce Development federal? Why is 50% of Wisconsin DPI federal? That needs to be a tiny, tiny fraction of the people employed in these state agencies. Because if it's not, then the federal government is essentially making the rules for these state agencies. So what does our workforce training look like? What are the kinds of changes we can make? You know, whether or not we can make changes to um, uh, food stamps. We have to ask, please, Mother, may I, from the federal government. Can we make changes to Obamacare? We have to to ask for waivers from the federal government. Can we make changes to our education policy? We have to ask for, for waivers from the federal government. It is it is crazy, and oftentimes the federal government either t- pays no attention or just simply says no. HUD is another one, housing and urban development. We don't get to determine what our own landscape looks like in Wisconsin because it's all essentially vetoable by housing and urban development. I mean, the folks who are listening to you today, your audience, they're probably paying attention, but the problem is that even a lot of independents and good conservatives aren't paying attention. No, they say federal, federal money, money. Woohoo! It's federal money. It's free. It's free, you know. And uh, so we're trying to change the mindset here in the culture that it, it, it's not free. And, and there are all kinds of repercussions for accepting it, you know. And so, I mean, you're asking, you've asked some great questions. I mean, what does workforce look like? But the problem is that, that we, don't, we don't really know or care because it's never outcome-based, right? It's just based on how much money is spent. So all the federal money that flows through, it's just... Um, you know, does it really work? Does it accomplish what the objective is? And that's that's not that's not how it's measured, Vicky. No, it's not. Never does it really work. Because if does it really work, we wouldn't have probably seventy-one percent of the programs, just the workforce training programs. It's always a training program, isn't it? It's always some grant that comes from the federal government that gives you a, an opportunity to create a training program, and all that is is an excuse to go hire people on state dollars, uh, sometimes paid for by federal dollars, but often matched by the state. We cover the pension costs of that, and all it is is a bunch of people pushing paperwork. Um, it doesn't act. Nobody ever ever says, "Did those job training?" programs work? Are we actually getting people connected with employers? You know, I'm talking to Alberta Darling yesterday, and she says, you know what, Vicki? It would make sense if we actually tweaked our occupational licensing law that would allow people who had been in prison to make applications for occupational licenses and give employers an opportunity as well to be able to trust that those that those people actually completed a rehabilitation program. Two things that did. Number one, it ignored the nonsense about job training programs, because it is. Number two, it said to the employer's The state of Wisconsin's rehabilitation programs are going to be actually graded as to whether they work to give you an idea of whether or not you should put somebody from prison to work in your company. That's a perfect solution to a problem that the federal government has been trying to solve for the past 30 years. Right. I mean, and this, the state's moving in the right direction on the profession, on removing impediments and regulations. And we're just we're just kind of with the tip of the iceberg here. Then Alberta's, you know, is involved in some of this. But, you know, the state, the state can start to, to do a better job as well in eliminating some of these goofy professional licensure regulations that uh, that, you know, put, uh, you know, 
put hurdles in the way of uh, of folks, in, including folks who are, uh, you know, just uh, getting out of prison, right? Who are out and you don't want them to go back. You want them to get a job, and, but uh, it's it's tough for them. Yeah, but you have now, if in fact this bill would pass, the person, you know, you, you would have to be able to assure that whatever, again, more federal dollars go to rehabilitation programs and all kinds of different kinds of, you know, whatever goes on in prison settings that is supposedly supposed to get people ready to be re-entered, you know, to re-enter society. Well, do they work? I don't know, Mike, but we're going to find out if in fact this bill passes, because in order to get an occupational license, you actually have to demonstrate that that rehab program worked for you right you know right. and and right. so one piece of legislation actually it not only potentially improves access to opportunity for people who are difficult to place in work but it provides accountability to some of the programs many of which might be funded with federal dollars that we have been taking for granted as something that we just simply do you know uh vicky that's the whole thing there's no accountability when it's federal money you know, there's only accountability when it's local money and local people. And that's, you know, I guess that's an overriding sort of motivation for us in looking at this. We have to devolve things back to the local level where people actually care and where there is accountability. And we've done surveys on this, too. I don't know how much time we have, but we've, we've surveyed, we surveyed 450 people, local education officials who deal with federal money. And two-thirds of them thought, hey, um, there's absolutely... Uh, no reason that we can't scale back on all uh, all these goofy regulations without losing accountability. Only 14% think that we'd have less accountability if we did away with some of these goofy regulations, which tells you there's really there's really no accountability because it's federal money that's involved, right? Well, yeah, so we because to, it's it's money it and time and and in um, in in cost. And you're not actually getting and you can actually look at the at the outcomes of education and you can say, wow, we're not doing so well here in Wisconsin. Oh, look, peer to peer, state to state. We're not doing so well. And then you look around at the other school systems and you say they're not doing so well either. Do we really need to pay money to not do so well? Maybe we could not do so well and not pay as much money, Mike. I mean, that would be an improvement, Um, (laughs) although I think that if we didn't pay as much money, we could actually do better because accountability would be demanded because state voters actually get to, you know, they get to run into their state reps. They get to run into these people on a fairly routine basis. Well, I think that's what you touched on is that what progressives believe is that more money is the solution. I think what most conservatives believe is that more money is not the solution. There's a different solution. It's accountability. It is accountability. And the only way you get that is to get government closer to the people. You know what? The legislature has been has been pretty good on this. I'm not going to I'm not going to slight them. Um, You know, some of the stuff that Dewey Strobel had proposed made it into the budget on competitive federalism and taking a look at the idea of accepting federal money. So, Mike, I think you guys are having an impact. We're trying to. We've got a lot more coming. Thanks for having me on, Vicki. I good, really appreciate it. Good to have you on the program. And please, folks, badgerinstitute.org, badgerinstitute.org. There is a ton of really interesting clickable stuff on the website, so check it out. Mike Nichols, thanks very much for being on the show. Thanks, Vicki. Appreciate we'll, it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Matt Kittle from the MacGyver Institute is in the studio here. In the house. Um, here's an update. Tammy Baldwin apparently has been pressured into giving back L. Franken's, L. Franken-Gropers, 
uh, $15,000 from his, again, I love to point out the name of this super PAC, the Midwest Values PAC, which apparently meant um, groping women who were, who were exhausted and unconscious on a plane coming back from a war zone and shoving his tongue down their throat. I guess that's Midwest Ugh. values. Maybe that's Minnesota you values. Know, every time I hear the descriptor, I just, I want to take a verp. shower in my brain. You want a verp. Ugh. Yes, I do. I a little throw up in my mouth. Yes. Yeah. Verp. Uh-huh. That's the word. That's the vomit and the burping. Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Getting too close to supper. I want to. But you turn the image of, of Al Franken groper and the tongue. So, I mean, it's all out the window now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I should have given a, an upchuck warning. <laughs> For my, you know I do? can be very stridently descriptive. You should put that in the opening when we're going to get into some yes. of these topics. Warning, 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 vomit alert, vomit alert. Um, this can we do something? This involves Al Frank and you may throw up in your mouth. <laughs> All right. War- fair warning. Upchuck alert. Joel, that's your job. That's your mission if you choose to accept it, is to get the voice guy, or you yourself be the voice guy, and create a sounder for the upchuck alert. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll just get right get on Get on that! In politics today, there should be plenty of those alerts out there. Well, the reason I had Matt on the program, and I wanted to talk about um, the story you did on on uh, uh, Tia Nelson, but we're going to... Let me. Can, can, do you mind? Can I? Um, because everybody's been asking me about this. Because yeah. I told this story on my Milwaukee show today. No, this is an incredible story. Uh, it's you an told Al Franken story. You told me this this morning. Yes. And I uh, preceded you by a couple of hours filling in for Dan O'Donnell this morning. And you're just down the hall. So during a news break, I said, "Oh, did you hear this about you know Frankenberry over here?" And you Frankengroper. Frankengroper. And you said, "Yeah, oh yeah. Do you know this?" And I had not heard this story. This is an incredible story. Here's the story. And I don't have. Have, you know, um, you know, Leanne Tweeden is her name. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything that comes close to a sexual assault story, but it gives you an idea that the kind of people who seek out media, who seek out entertainment, are confident and assertive people. Mm-hmm. But in in that group of confident and assertive people is a group that takes confidence to narcissism and is an assertiveness to exhibitionism. So it does media. Uh, entertainment, probably politics, attracts a group of people that are malignantly narcissistic and exhibitionist. Yep. And and their egos are massive. So that's Al Franken. And that's what this story is meant to actually sort of let you learn a little bit about the guy. He's so, also a pinhead, just for the record. He is. He's a pinhead. Okay. Um, he was he was promoting his book, and that was the Lying Liars book, whatever mm-hmm. the, the full title of that book is. Yeah. The one that Fox sued him over. Um, and O'Reilly went to, you know, went bananas over it and claimed it was slander and claimed it was copyright violations. And Fox actually tried to sue Al Franken over the book. He claimed it was satire and it was fair use. He won, by the way, in that in that case. Um, but he was promoting this book. And, and so we booked him on the show. And and I'm arguing over some of the assertions is all Republicans are liars. And this is all, you know, right wing propaganda. And none of this is true. And George Bush is a war criminal and all of this crazy stuff that the left was always saying back in 2004. This would have been 2003, 2004. And, and so I'm arguing with him, and he said, he said, no, you stupid. I'm giving you a fair warning. This is offensive. No, you stupid dyke. Uh. That was his retort to me for something I had said that ticked him off. So I said, immediately, wow. right, I'm like, I, you know, make that screeching sound of a car. Arr! Hold <laughs> on a second there, Al Franken. 
did you just call me? And by the way, people who, who listen to the show for years and years and years will remember this. My boss was listening, too. He remembered it. He was looking for the audio, but we only have archives that go back to 2006. But anyway, I said, did you just call me a dyke? Why would you call me that? I did not call you that. I did not call you that. And I said, yes, you did. So, And I forget who my producer was at the time. It might have been Elon. It might have been Dave McCann. I'm not sure. Um, isolates the audio of him saying this, and we play it back. Well, hang on, Al. We got the audio. Here it is. I didn't say it. I didn't say Yes, you did. What, it, what else are you saying no. here? Give me an explanation. Click. He hangs up on me. So, of course, we continue on, and I continue to mock this. What a and I, creep. I know. He calls back. He calls back the hotline. <laughs> he wants to get back on the air because he wants to finish. He wants to finish his thought or whatever. We get back on the air. Play the audio again. Al, why did you call me a dyke? That's that's a you know that's unbelievable. And I didn't call you that. And he keeps denying it. So we play the audio. I didn't say that. Well, what did you say? Did you say something that rhymes like bike? Or Mike, or, you know, and then I said, or that awful epithet for Jewish people. You wouldn't have said that, Al. So what did you say? I didn't say it. Click. Hangs and he up again. hung up on you again. But wait. He keeps digging more. in. He keeps digging himself into a bigger he hole. He called back one last time and, uh, and still continued to deny it. And we played the audio again. And then he ended up hanging up, and he never called back again. What a hideous, hideous Unbelievable. So this was the one time that I had, um, this was pre-Act 10, so there, and I wasn't nearly as controversial as apparently I was after Act 10. Uh, so, I mean, people were not sending bomb threats to the radio station and threatening to kill my dogs at that point. So Jeez. I remember this, this contingent of, of liberals, and they were on Isthmus doing something anyway one of them calls up uh, is a lesbian and just you know takes you know completely defended me on that and i thought and i was really grateful for that yeah. because she's like that is i mean why would he call you that you know and i i'm like why would he say it anyway right why would why would why would you why would that even be an insult you know but anyway As, so well, well wait a that's minute wait, he, that's, wait a minute that is an incredible he was story. never wrong even but, though he's confronted with his own audio he's claiming we're editing the audio we're we're manipulating we're like Dude, we just cut it up like two minutes ago. Well, first of all, are you amazed that he issued some level of apology as back, you know, as 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 it was on this whole photograph of him groping? He had to. Yeah, I mean, he had I mean, a photo. The, he was caught, but he was caught here. It was a yeah, it was, but it was clear. It, it was clear what he was, which was a narcissistic, exhibitionist, egomaniacal jerk. Right. So that is, I mean, that's the guy. So he, he, they're but never he's wrong. The great he's never well. Of women. The first thing he said was, uh, "Well, obviously she didn't understand it was a joke. I mean, it was not a funny joke, but it was obviously you know meant as a joke." Oh, really? Taking a picture of a passed out woman with your hands on yeah, her boobs is a joke. Hel- that photo's Stick, hilarious. Yeah, sticking your tongue down her throat when she when she didn't want to kiss you is is a joke. I don't think Al Franken's wife wants anything to do with that. Like I'm saying, verb time. Verb. Yeah. But no, I tell that story just because it gives you an idea of, of what kind of a horse's ass he is. Yeah, he really you is. You know, and that's and, and I also think that it's very typical of the type of personality that seeks out comedy and and media and entertainment that like I said, you have to be confident and assertive to do media, entertainment and comedy. But in that group of people is an unusually large percentage that is that is 
you know, narcissistic and and uh, an exhibitionist and malignant. How many times did this guy, this horse's ass, as you have aptly described him, go out there in the war on women narrative no from the left? And how no many kidding. times did he go out there and condemn anybody who said something derogatory or offensive about gay people, homosexuals I'm sure in this a lot. country? I'm sure a lot. And I don't have an actual count on that. But, but yeah, so... He first tries to sort of pass off the blame as you just misunderstood my joke. Then you look at the actual story that she's telling. By the way, Melanie Morgan as well, um, a radio host, is also claiming she was stalked and assaulted by him. But then you look at the details of her story and you're like, no, man, there's no way to interpret this as a joke. There just isn't. I mean, because it's not funny to anybody. And if it's funny to anybody, there's something wrong with those people because it's just not funny. Well, he's in a position of power and a position of authority once again. It's the same sort of logic that is being applied everywhere else, is it not? Yeah. And so, but think about this then. So then he comes forward and says, I I will welcome an ethics investigation. Oh, you'll get one, but you're not going to get off the hook. To their credit, and I'm not sure how long this will last, some left-wing celebrities like Kathy Griffin... Kathy Griffin um, are calling for him to step down. Hmm. So, um, to again, that I, I don't know how long that'll last. That might be a fleeting moment of moral clarity that that they had. But some left, even left wing celebrities, are saying you need to step down. And I think Tammy Baldwin thought she was going to get away with not having to give that money back. But nope. And isn't it something that they were meeting today, you know, all of the Democrats were meeting today, you know, about going full bore on Roy Moore in Alabama, and they and they woke up to have to deal with the Al Franken-Groper scandal. It is. It's unfortunate because you have two, two politicians in Franken and Moore, and again, the Moore stuff is allegations at this point, but there's mounting evidence to suggest that there's some real problems here, and he hasn't helped his situation out by trying to defend himself. But still, they're allegations. But I think in, in, to explain this, and why, why isn't this happening at the average guy level? Why aren't you seeing your neighbor being accused of sexual harassment or sexual assault? Because he's not doing it. Because he's not a malignant, narcissistic exhibitionist. Ambition and all of that power in the aphrodisiac or however you want to define yep. it. You, but basically, in the, in, a politi- in the political calculus, you have two politicians who kind of negate each other in this political Indeed. battle. Indeed. Hang on one second, Matt Hill and I will be right back. Welcome back. By the way, the same people who are defending Al Franken are defending him on the same grounds that the people who are defending Roy Moore are defending Roy Moore. Yep. Just thought I'd point that out in case it didn't occur to anybody, but I'm sure it did. Matt Kittle, here's what I um, actually originally had you on the program to talk about. And it is a it is about kind of the same narcissistic, um, egomaniacal um, attitude that uh, that people in power can develop. And it was just a story you were doing on the State Lands Agency, the Board of Public Lands, or I forget the name of the actual agency. It's a small state agency. Uh, Matt Adomchek, our state treasurer, exposed the um, sort of uselessness of this state agency and the mm-hmm. abuse of some of the privileges of this state agency. You, It, it, it got to your uh, attention, came to your attention, that... That one of the people associated with this agency 
was using dollars um, for all kinds of questionable things. Mm-hmm. And she is Tia Nelson. She's the daughter of Gaylord Nelson, and she was having none of your of of your petty questioning. How dare you? I want you to tell this story about this one because this is just this is ego piled on top of arrogance. I have probably about a dozen emails, and it's spent uh, much too long on the telephone with Tia Nelson, daughter Earth Day, um, who used to run the Bureau of the excuse me the Board of the Commissioners of Public Land (BCPL). It's such a boring name, and nobody knew about this until a couple of years ago when we had these battles about. Uh, Mother uh, Earth Day, uh, Daughter Earth Day, and her staff trying to promote climate change, uh, climate change agenda on the taxpayer dollar. And Matt Adamczyk had said, "Listen, uh, no more of that. We don't want this on taxpayer time." And of course, the media exploded, and she became the martyr of the green movement. We find out that she spent about twenty-six thousand dollars over the course of four plus years, two thousand eight to two thousand. 2012 for a freelance writer to write her speeches to write her reports for her to write articles that appeared in magazines nobody would ever read logging magazines it was just paying some guy to write her speeches for law or her articles for logging magazine i kid you not (laughs) like a trade publication and these glossy kinds of things uh paid for uh, and paid to a Madison consultant, and the company's name was Writing Barefoot. Sounds like a perfect Madison name, Writing Barefoot. It's no longer in existence, but they there was one person there, and she's connected. Her name is A.B. Orlick. She's connected to all kinds of government and uh, you know nonprofit, liberal kind of movements, those sorts of things. Worked in the diversity program over at the UW uh, Wisconsin. Anyway. Basically, I, I I called her up, and to her credit, she answered the phone. We had a conversation. It was an exhausting conversation <laughs> because she continued to try to justify. And you know what she told me, Vicky? She said, "Well, don't you know who I am?" The well, <laughs> it, it really was. And she there's there's one email where she talks about how everybody in the state of Wisconsin supported her, and my source, and she's referring to Matt Adamczyk on, on all of this. Your your source has been they all think he's crazy and all of these sorts of things. Yeah, everybody on. thinks Matt Adamczyk is crazy for saving taxpayer money. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> And, and everybody supports me. Nope. But she, I, her explanation as to why she had this freelancer do this stuff when um, Matt Adamczyk told me, he said, listen, I, I serve on this board, three members uh, of statewide uh, elected officials, including the attorney general and Doug LaFollette, the only Democrat on the board. I know what they do. They have time to put together reports. They have time to write their own speeches. And why are they delivering speeches in the first place? It's the Board of Commissioners of Public Lands. Anyway, so she said, well, the governor's office has a full-time PR uh, staff. The DOA has a full-time PR staff, and the don't argument, you know who I am? <laughs> the argument <laughs> is, hey, we're all we're just a ten-member, uh, ten-member agency, ten-employee agency. We ought to have these uh, these kinds of services too. Well, that's up to the taxpayer. You determine whether that's justifiable or not. But that's her explanation. Her explanation was that it's so hard. <laughs> 
<laughs> to write that logging magazine article. Exactly. How many times does, the, does this uh, board meet? How often do they meet? Once a month, I think? I think they meet once a month. And they distribute... The Board of the Commissioner of Public Lands. Exactly. That is the, the only reason anybody even knows this board exists is because Matt Adamczyk exposed it for its its petty abuses of, of manipulation of taxpayer money. That's the only reason we even know it exists. But the apparently the report, the biennial report put together by writing Barefoot... Uh, won some kind of an award. I have not been able to find that award. It was the most improved biennial report <laughs> of the state agency. So You know, last time you turned in your biennial report, there were grammatical errors. Oh, we had quite... This time, the organization was spiffy. Gee, um, I will tell you this. I have Good inter- syntax. I have interviewed a lot of people. Uh, and I've interviewed some really nasty people. This was one of the most unpleasant human beings I've ever had to deal with. <laughs> Hang on one second. I got to take a break here. Matt, I want to drag you over for one more break. We'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors, or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Just turn them on, but you don't want you don't want to turn on the mic. Uh, for a, you don't a want to turn story. the mic on too early. Sometimes never yeah. want to no. turn the mic on too early. Matt Kittle is still in the studio because you can't get rid of him. I'm a loiterer. That's what I am. Remember <laughs> yeah. that old song? I'm a loiterer. I'm a Jed loiterer. Sanborn is in the studio as well. Before we get into anything, our man Joel um, of Boundless Talent. Boundless. Boundless. Talent. Lots of people say and that about boundless me. hair. And and uh, yes, facial sure. hair. Mm-hmm. At least. You're growing the beard back. I oh, noticed. Yeah, it's, it's the deer beard. Yeah, slowly. Yeah. yeah. So it's coming back because hockey season is is on us, mm-hmm. it, and that's what this is all about. Anyway, um, I asked you for a sound effect to give people fair warning that a vomit-inducing, verp-inducing segment is coming up. Do you, could you have headphones? Matt, you should I grab don't. headphones. I'm afraid I don't. Um, let's let the listeners. So, if you ever hear this, fair warning for your upchuck alert. Now, whoever goes the longest without puking gets the last piece of pie in the fridge. Earmuffs, people. You've entered the puke zone. <laughs> oh my God, my insides are on fire! <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a regular segment on the show now. I don't think so, but I didn't. I, I will. I have a habit of I could choose really sort of gentle words to describe things, but when I find something particularly offensive, I tend to pick the harsher adjectives. I've noticed that about right? you. Yes. And so when I'm reading this story about Al Franken, um, you know, trying trying to you know kiss this girl and Oof. and groping her breasts. Well, I'm I, you know, I, I think he he literally 
grabbed her and forced his tongue down her throat. I mean, that's just, that's the language I'm going to choose because that's the image that needs to be conveyed. That is exactly what because happened. Because this though. was an assault. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so I, that's what it made Matt verp and, when I did that. Verp. And not to go into the details too much when we're keeping it a light heart, but didn't he say today that... He does. That's he can't remember if he did that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I just talking. I was just talking to a friend, and I you. said, if somebody asks me, "Hey, did you know? Did you you know force your tongue into this woman's mouth like in a way that she wasn't expecting?" I would not have any trouble saying yes or no to that. Yeah, I'm tired of these. I don't remember type of answers. Yeah, and I, we're I getting that more. from Roy like, Moore. Like Roy Moore, from, too. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't recall ever putting the moves Dating on. a teenager when I was in my R- 30s. Routinely <laughs> yeah. doing that. It that was, doesn't uh, sound something I did routinely. What did he say? He said that wouldn't be, that would be out of character out of for character me. Out of character for me. <laughs> I'm not sure if I did that or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's always a bad, that's always a bad uh, thing to say as yeah. a defense, but that's exactly what Al Franken did. I don't remember, Maybe, I don't remember this thing that was traumatic to this person, yeah. um, but unless that kind of thing is something he does all the time, then he couldn't remember if in that particular instance he had done it that day or not. If you do that all the time, then you can believe that maybe you couldn't remember. But there, right. therein, yeah. therein lies the possibility and the problem. And I, of course, uh, as we've seen with Roy Moore, uh, perhaps we've already seen two allegations against uh, Al Frankenberry, Al Frankengroper, Frankengroper. Um, yeah, but I Midwest, you, you can only imagine Midwest Franken. Values. Yeah. That's what he point, should rename his point, pack. Is, is is right. When I is mean, this going to end? Right? It's somebody new every day. It's a new accuser every day. Well, yeah, I've been enjoying the Facebook posts from people saying, you know, I'm going to run out to the store to grab some groceries. Let me know. If somebody else gets accused of sexual assault <laughs> yeah, or sexual harassment. Right. Now, it's now a hashtag. It, it really is. It, well, yeah, but this is something that is eventually going to get dumped down. So that's a concern that I have, is that it's eventually going to get dumped down culturally. What I mean by that is, and I'm trying to explain that the people who seek out media um, are, are of a different type of you know, there's a different type of people. Regular people seek it out too, but they're in that group is a is a type of malignant person. They're you know, yeah. a holes. That's what you know, that's right. kind of what you And it could be entertainers and it can be I think you're including those people that are so driven to hold political office. And, and, yeah, and some people, not all people, I think most people in politics are probably not like this, but there is a contingent that is. There is a contingent in media, there is a contingent in sports, there is a contingent in in um, in entertainment as well. And it's men and women. I think just the, the narcissism and the exhibitionism it, yeah. it, it, it exposes itself differently. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's a, a person who's never wrong, who always needs the accolades, who always needs people to tell them how awesome they are, mm-hmm. who cannot tolerate any kind of dissent, who needs a sycophant, who needs you know people who are walking around as little yes men or little yes women. Um, Hillary Clinton is in this group of people I'm oh, talking about, sure. this malignant Bill Clinton, ex- Queen Bill Clinton certainly is yeah. in this group of people. To the um, point of Bill Clinton being a predator and to the point of Hillary Clinton covering up his uh, proclivities. Indeed. To protect her own because yeah. again, that's why. Because she's not. It, what happened to those the women that Bill Clinton abused was irrelevant. Be, they were in the way. They were the bimbo eruption. Um, you know, that's the way people viewed that. Because he's so important. She's so important. You know, the rules don't apply to them. That if if you can think of somebody where you can describe them as believing the rules don't apply to them. 
That's the kind of person we're talking about. And those people seek out attention occupations. Exactly. Right? So they seek out attention netting occupations. So my concern, though, is that all this is going to dump down on the level of, of man Average guy, oh, they will man who goes impugned. to work, yes, man who's a manager, you know, all these men are suddenly going to be, you know, potential sexual predators. But it's already there, I would, I would argue. We have created this narrative that started even before the the war on women notion in the in the 2012 election that was the whole obama campaign theme against the republicans and really what we've gotten to is we we've got some scumbags out there there's no doubt about it but pervasively speaking from the left there is this sense that if you are a white man in america you not only have privilege you have power and you are lording that power over uh, everybody and anybody particularly women. And toxic masculinity, that's what this toxic is. Toxic masculinity. Right. No, no, that's what they're saying this is. And Matt Kittle, you have it. And mm-hmm. Jed Sanborn, you have it. And Joel Finkelman, you have it. Toxic masculinity, that just by virtue of being a man... You are a potential, you know, you're a potential Al Franken or a, Sylvester or Stallone. Harvey Weinstein. Right. Harvey Weinstein it's or C.K. Lewis. Because now you, now you are in this whole group. You're in this, you are part of the, the problem. And this is the left message. Of course, they're not seeing it from their side of things either with yeah. guys like Al Franken and the myriad others. All Bill these Clinton. lefties that are, right, yeah. have these. I mean, I, I guess the only solace I take is that most women are not these crazy lefties and don't look at men right. that way, and I don't yeah. feel like I, you know, I, I don't right? think that it, I think that is absolutely true. And most women will say, in you know, maybe I think probably most women have some kind of story that in their past at one point, yeah, usually not jer- more than a couple jerk. of times, yeah. where some jerk, where some guy's a jerk, yeah. um, or maybe they have an experience from years ago where they honestly felt like they were sexually harassed. Mm-hmm. Not not the new expanded definition of hey you look nice today Vicky sexual harassment right. you know that's that's something that now it, it actually exists as work mm-hmm. as workplace rules but but yeah i mean at the same time they'd say i've met hundreds and potentially thousands of men in the course of my employment and none of them appeared to be predators in the making all of mm-hmm. them behaved themselves all of them were polite all of them were professional but it's not about the average woman thinking the average man is a creep. It's about policymakers worried that the next shoe is going to drop and coughing up some kind of one-size-fits-all blanket policy that just, you know, makes it, it diff- very difficult for a company to actually manage employees. And I think that's what we're going to eventually see. You're going to eventually so. see this turn into um, the threat of an easy accusation of sexual harassment that will not require, you know, evidence at this level um, that even, you know, that e- even of a yearbook signage or something well, like that. It's certainly, po- I mean, you're talking about sort of, right, eroding due process. Exactly, which sense, has already which happened on campus. On campuses, yeah. exactly. And how but, do you defend, how do you defend against, I'm not talking about Roy Moore here, I'm just talking about in general. It is one of the most difficult to defend allegations because you want to believe the victim. You you just generally go to the victim and it sounds horrible and it sounds awful, but we know Duke, we, we know... They lied. Yeah. We, we know about you know, the Every the single one of those guys at Duke on the lacrosse team was innocent. That's and right. If you, Every if single one of them. bring that up to at least the left, the virulent left, they will say... 
you you were you were just uh, abusing victims by even mattress girl that. Yeah. lied. Yeah. Mattress then girl, that, that feminist hero, she lied about about. The Rolling Stone magazine. No, that was different. That was Jackie. She lied too. I forget which university that was. That's the problem, and that it's going to make it. In fact, we're already seeing that. Where some liberals are already rallying the 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 troops around Al Franken, and conservatives certainly are rallying some troops. Not all of them, but certainly some of them are rallying the troops around Roy Moore. And I mean, you've got people who are who are you know giving detail in a story with contemporaneous witnesses that are confirming the details of these stories. It's suggestive that the victims are probably not lying. This Lee, uh, Leanne um, uh, Tweeden from the uh, from the news station. She has and, a picture. She's a picture. Yeah. Yeah. So she's. I mean, that's probably a good indication she's not lying. Right. But all of it's going to end up getting thrown into a giant, you know, spin yes. cycle, and it's going to come out looking like nothing even close to justice. And you're right, Judd. Due process. That's where it is. Hang on one second. We're going to be right back. Judd Sanborn is in my studio. As is Matt Kittle. I'll be right back. Man, I've been everywhere, man. All right, welcome back to the program. All right, we're not going to, well, I don't know. We have that, have the verp warning ready. Just in case, Joel. It's always on standby. And, now and you're and forever. welcome to chime in on this because I, I need I need men's perspective on this. I've never been a man, um, and uh, I don't identify as you one. don't. Okay, I don't. I was going to say you, you know you could identify, but no, right. no, I don't. No, I don't. Um, so. And I know that it, it comes to a, 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 an immense shock to some people, but you know, I mean, I like girly things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, believe it or not. So you, I, I posted my wedding comedy. pictures and like, people are like, oh have... my gosh, I can't believe you posted your wedding pictures. I thought you were all about guns and blah, blah, blah. I'm right. like, well, and also like about getting married. girly things and I've seen that, but then I also see like you've got, like you'll get your camouflage purse and you've got a camouflage backpack. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, but then at other times you do have other sort of feminine stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm a, I'm a child of the eighties. I'm, right. I'm 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 a child of the influences of Ronald Reagan and Gloria Steinem. So it ends up, you know, with with a family value system of core core conservative values in my family. It, this is what it ends up looking like. I like that combination. Okay, thank you. Yes, appreciate that. But I'm not a guy. I try mm-hmm. really hard to try to understand the perspective of men, um, and I know I, I I swing and I miss a lot of times. But I actually make an effort to do this. So, in this, in what is going on now, and and put aside the specific instances of Al Franken, who's a, a piece of trash, and Roy Moore, who I also think is a piece of trash. Um, put that aside for a second. What ends, what this is going to be, and it's already begun, is all of these incredibly extreme behaviors, um, many of which certainly are actual behaviors that, that these celebrities have engaged in, become... A condemnation of all men, and we've already seen that happen on campuses. You guys were referring to the 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 um, the dissolution of due process for men on campus, and even with Betsy DeVos's rolling back of the interpretation of Title IX regulations that schools use to justify obliterating due process for men, lots of campuses haven't said that we're not going to change our policies. We're still going to put these guys through these kangaroo courts. 
Um, now you've got all of this, you know, e- exemplar evidence that men are so horrible. You put this all into the cultural spin cycle that has that, that nobody is actually trying to guide except the progressives. And it comes out the other end. Men are awful. So now what happens? We've already got men who are saying, I don't want to get married. I don't even want to have a relationship with a woman because I don't want to be accused of something that I'm going to have a hard time explaining later. I don't want to be accused. I don't want to, you know, I don't I don't want to be constantly told I'm a bad guy. And and they're terrified of even approaching women. And I know young men, in young millennial men who flat out said to me that they're afraid to just walk up to a girl and say hi. Yeah, and I mean, I, I can give you somewhat of a perspective, although I you just brought up, I think, a key word, which is millennial, in that I think these younger young men are growing up in an environment that is pretty still alien to me, and you and I are about the same age. And- People used to talk on the phone when we were kids. You yeah. don't do that anymore. Nobody calls each other. They, they all text. text. And, and Instagram and Snapchat yeah. and all that. Right. I mean, I think in, to some degree that will happen. But I, I tend to think it will be muted because men are going to be men in the sense that men are attracted to women. Right. And now you might read men on strike. It, read the book uh, men on strike. Uh, Men who are simply saying there might be some of those alpha or those sort of metrosexual guys out there, right? That you know, but I think I was going to say marriage is at an all-time low, childbirth is at an all-time low. But that's just because they can get everything that they would normally get from a marriage without marriage. That's women's change behavior, I think, that that accounts for that. Uh, I mean, and we know that there's this phenomenon in all Western cultures where reproduction rates are down, and, you know, that's that's a whole other big topic. But I was, you know, you say, okay, if things even get, let's say, hypersensitive in the workplace with bigger companies, like any little thing you do to even try to compliment a woman could get you in trouble. I think people will walk on, you know, on thin ice or, you know, walk carefully at work, but then when they go to the bars after work, it'll just revert back to normal human nature. If you... Uh- uh, most company sexual harassment policies include off 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 work. premises I- activity as well. But I think women let, aren't going to tolerate not having men, you know, in a legitimate, safe way, you know, uh, socialize with them and try to, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I hear from women as well that it's hard to meet guys. That everybody's, yeah. you know, I mean, everybody seems to be saying, well, we we sure like to meet each other. But it's really hard, and I don't want to walk up to the guy and say anything, and the guys say, I don't want to walk up to the girl and say anything. And at the same time, you've got this all these cultural uh, elites telling you that you're a toxic man, or all of these cultural elites telling you if you're a woman that you're a victim, or you're a potential victim, and you, you take no agency, and you have no responsibility for your own actions. And it just ends up becoming... Um, a cold mess. I it's can a, it's see that. It's a cold I mean, future that these young folks will have if they don't figure this out. I can see. I mean, the millennials are very confused about a lot of things, right? And we, we've talked about that. We know that. Uh, and this is going to affect them. And some degree, though, we're talking about a very sort of primal human nature. That's going to win out in the end. I, I, right. I don't think we're going to have, although, well, you know, with... You know. I think primal human nature is something that is is never thrown into the mix. I think, uh, I think some of what we're seeing right now with the um, sort of nihilism and the reaction to politics that seems to be completely divorced from logic itself is is a bit primal. I True. think we're seeing people act more primally than they would ordinarily act in a civilized society. Um, anyway, let's talk about that when we come back. The the politics of of.
everything. Sure. You know, and you've got now a substantial number of people on the right who who are making politics everything as well. They're tra- they're playing the left game. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I don't think they're going to win the left's game because all of the liberals play the politics of everything and only some of the conservatives play the politics of everything. Yes, and for other reasons. Well, yeah. We're going to take a quick break here. Jed Sanborn's my guest. I'll be right back. Sanborn, let's talk politics, shall we? Jed Sanborn, former city council person. There are some people indulging some ideas that I think are, I won't say delusional, I just think are wrong. And these are people who think somehow, and I think Steve Bannon is of this ilk, um, that if you destroy, quote, establishment Republicans... That somehow you're going to create this magical coalition of Democrats who are disenchanted and Republicans who are disenchanted. And you're going to have a powerful political constituency that obliterates the control of government by these people you despise, these elites. All that happens, and there's a bunch of reasons why, but all that happens is these sort of third party populist movements Um, always behave the same way. They always behave the same way. They always obliterate something. They, they don't try to do anything, um, on the, on the positive end. They're not trying to add. They're always trying to obliterate something, annihilate something. Angry. Always based on anger, which is why you won't create the coalition you're thinking of creating. The, those Democrats that are disenchanted, you know what they do? They still vote for Democrats. I know. Oh, they, uh, they just, they stay in lockstep. They still do. Oh, they sure the, do. The mass of people who voted that that the sort of a Trump base, those are Republicans. Those are not. It's not a substantial number of Democrats. There was more Democrats this time around, no doubt. Mm-hmm. More Democrats that were peeled off, who voted for Trump. But the lion's share of Trump people, overwhelming yeah. lion's share of Trump people, including the originals on the Trump train. Right at the beginning are Republicans, and I would say specific, even to address those de- quote unquote Democrats that were maybe peeled off for Trump for very specific reason. Right, these are work blue collar union sort of working class guys that saw do <laughs> maybe do see waves of illegal immigration and maybe even foreign trade as a threat to the, to them. And Trump was specifically addressing that. That was probably what appealed to them almost one hundred percent. But even even there are is a, a much, 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 much larger group of those exact same people who stayed and vote, stayed in the party and voted for Hillary Clinton. They voted for Hillary Clinton. That's what most of those guys who are disenchanted with illegal immigration and disenchanted with foreign trade policy and disenchanted with social progressivism. They stayed and they voted for Clinton. Yeah, well, and it's the actual politicians that are in such lockstep, right? They don't they don't lose their members. Like look at look at what we've got going on with Republicans right now. And now it's looking like tax reform is going to go down that same road. And I and, and I know you had Ron Johnson on today and I, and I think ultimately at He's the end of the day, right? He, he want, won't he won't tube it. Yeah. But we may in fact have Republicans that do. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I'll tell you who some of them are. 
like Rand Paul yeah. might be one of them that tubes it. Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, John McCain, who are the you know, sort of the, the moderate contingent, the liberal Republican contingent, they might tube it. So I don't but but this is what I don't understand. If in America, <clears throat> if you want what do you want? You get first thing you have to identify is what you actually want. Not what you hate. Because you can find people who hate the same things you hate, but those same people aren't going to want the same things you want. So what do you want? What do you want out of Washington, D.C.? Because I can identify what I want. I want less of it. I want, yeah. I want the government to, to actually re- measurably shrink. I want less control by federal agencies over state policy and state finances. I want more control, more personal control over every aspect of my life from health care to my own retirement to 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 the to the home I purchase. I want less government, more me. And if that's what you want, less government, more you, then you have to work to find people who are less government, more for you and get them Elected. Right. That's what you have to do. You don't go find somebody who just hates Mitch McConnell and is a nihilist. And because Mitch McConnell, they could, you know what? Roy Moore could get elected and Mitch McConnell could voluntarily step down from leadership. And the next that person. That doesn't pass bills. Right. Right. And the next person who becomes leader of the Senate is is going to be in the exact same position as McConnell was. And there's still a 60-vote rule for cloture that none of those Senate Republicans or Democrats want to get rid of. There's still the, the mess of having omnibus bills. The House is still going to craft its legislation to try to get through the sausage-making factory of the Senate. So what do you want? I want more people who are willing to go in there and say, we got to get rid of that 60-vote rule. Yeah. We have to be able to undo bad government. Not just throw a monkey wrench in it, create a vacuum of power that the progressives will necessarily fill. And all of this re- is so reminiscent to me of back- going way back to the primary. When I was having discussions with friends and family uh, that supported Donald Trump. And they would talk about the same kinds of things we're hearing now about how angry they were at Mitch McConnell or, or Paul Ryan or the Republican leadership in general and how they didn't get anything done and how they were corrupt and just in it for themselves. And I would say I, I agree with you to a large extent. Now, maybe not on everyone in all times, but to a large extent, I agree with you. But how is Donald Trump going to fix that? Is what I would always what well because what he, Donald what he, Trump is is as much as he talks about draining the swamp, the fact the, the the essence of Donald Trump is not sort of an ideological ideas person. He he just wants to make deals and get things done. In some ways, that is what the swamp is: just make deals, make deals and, get and get things, things done. done. Now he hasn't done the make deals, get things done, but. To, you know, in defense of the swamp draining. He'll still sign anything that it, it is a, put in front of him. That's absolutely true. But in, in defense of the swamp draining, <clears throat> there's over 800 regulations that have been that have been set aside. We have an outstanding constitutionally minded Supreme Court justice. I agree with that. We have. And, and again, other federal judges that, the are, federal getting, judges, that are getting appointed, which are, are nominated from a approved. list of the Federalist Society that Donald Trump absolutely swore an allegiance to. 
Uh, many of them have been confirmed. Why? Because Mitch McConnell actually has been shoving federal judges down yeah. everybody's throat as fast as he can because they might lose power next year, um, which is about the only defense I'll make of Mitch McConnell. But but what else are we seeing? But we're, we're not seeing, seeing we're, an inability to repeal Obamacare, right? A possible inability to do any kind of tax reform. I mean, they should have done corporate tax reform eight months ago. So what? So and, the people who are out there who are angry have to say, you have to go beyond anger. What else, what do you want? Because you cannot bring a republic, you can you cannot govern a republic on the stuff you hate. Right. You have to. A, a republic requires people to agree on things. Policy matters. Why? It, you, I mean, why do you hate these people? Because they're not giving you good policy. But then, isn't that, is that if, right? Right. But then, do you hate these dis- people because they're not giving you yeah. good policy? If that's what you hate, but then if you find people them, who will get yes, find people who will give you good policy. And remember as well that. Some people are just go along to get along. I mean, that's that's most people, Jed. They're not there to be. Um, they're, they're, not everybody is going to go in there with a pitchfork and a torch. Right. That's just the fact of the matter. You're not going to be able to find enough uh, enough sane people with pitchforks and torches who want to go through the process of exposing themselves to the hell that becomes running for federal office. The fundraising, the crawling up your backside with a microscope, the exposure, your family being dragged into things, opposition research and private detectives, you know, mm-hmm. sniffing into your niece's affairs, you know, dumping your emails and trying to figure out, you know, what, what you said to somebody when you were 17 years old. So the people who seek that out, unfortunately, um, are either Boy Scouts or they're people who are those malignant, narcissistic yep. um, exhibitionists that we're talking about. Or crave power, too. So you got some of the people who are there who are just sort of, the, oh, whatever, I'm just going to give them some decent reinforcements. Fill the United States Senate with Mike Lee's. Yeah, fill well, the Senate with people like uh, you know. And I was just seeing that too. I mean, I heard Ted somebody. Cruz. I know we get the music, but somebody's talking about what's going to happen if the Republicans fail on tax. They're all going to get thrown out. That's of office. right. But it's like, well, people got to think. No, it's primaries. We got to primary the people who are responsible. Exactly. And you know what? There isn't much in the way of many people who are willing to go up against a very popular incumbent. Oh, say like John McCain. Yeah, and he's not up for re-election. And he's for not a long up for election. Time. Neither is Collins. Neither or is Murkowski. Murkowski or Rand Paul. We'll take a quick break here and be right back. I even tried. Hey, welcome back to the program. So, yeah, we're in a we're in a um, days of rage, days of rage. People who um, I think it feels good to be angry too, and I think that now that you have sort of um, approval of your anger and you've got friends in your anger, that politically people just can't even understand. They're not even understand. It's that they they have no desire to want to find common ground. Um, on anything. They, they, they've identified an enemy. That enemy's been personalized. It's very Alinsky. Pick the enemy, 
personalize it, polarize it, and then attack the enemy. And yeah. so if it's they Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan. They never take it beyond step one, though. Right. right. It's, yeah. And yeah. that's the problem because the liberals do. The progressives do take it beyond step one. They will pick their target, personalize it, and polarize it. But they've got a plan for what to do afterwards. And they get angry at their own people. Like a lot, obviously, with look at how Bernie Sanders, how well he did. A lot of progressives don't like Hillary Clinton. But they don't get, they aren't get, we haven't seen a kind of nihilistic attacks like we've seen on the right. And it's like you said, yeah, all these people on the right, a lot of the Trump supporters that hate Mitch McConnell, if you were to ask them, well, what do you envision? Who's going to replace Mitch McConnell? And how's that going to... I don't what's care. What's going to change? Right. I don't care. Well, that's right. Some of these people, I think they'd rather see the Democrats take control of the Senate and the House than have Mitch McConnell stay there. Yeah, because it would serve Ryan. us right. Yeah. It would serve us right. Um, and that and it would be satisfying somehow, but then they'd be angry at the Democrats. And then I don't know why would you would think the Republicans would ever want to put themselves, you know, any good conservative Republican would want to put themselves through it. Um, the next person who replaces Mitch McConnell is not going to blow up the 60-vote rule for cloture. I, I, w- I wish all of that anger were directed toward the processes that are being used as an excuse to do nothing. And the process, in my mind, is the 60-vote rule for cloture, or, or conventionally called the filibuster, which is a two-track system that allows business to take place, and you don't have to talk for a filibuster. Anything that is controversial at all has to, has to go through a supermajority of votes. Yeah, and that That's not what our Constitution that, right? says. And it's, but I, I don't like to use the word filibuster, because filibuster is supposed to be about debate. Yeah, and they should keep that. They keep the filibuster, keep but the make it debate. debate. That's right. But make it debate. But it holds up the entire business of the Senate. Precisely. So that it has consequences. It has real, it has to be saved for really important situations. Correct. And you have to actually have good reasons. Yes. So when when that filibuster is taking place, so when Rand Paul, who I think has been very disappointed by, is disappointing as a senator, but when he did his historic filibuster on the surveillance, on the um, the U.S. NSA surveillance, um, it was compelling. Yeah. There was actually, for the he first six of hours attention. of it, it was compelling stuff. He was giving very, very, very good reasons. If he just wanted to read the dictionary or he wanted to sing the ABCs or he wanted to have, you know, tag team for Ted Cruz to come in there and, and read nursery rhymes, mm-hmm. it would have been a joke. Right. But it, it was, so that's why you will see most of the time those talking filibusters bring substance and you won't see them a lot because there's not a lot of substance to object to a piece of legislation that is a good piece of legislation. And I think if we hadn't had 60 votes required to repeal Obamacare, we'd have been picking it apart piecemeal. We might not have got the Medicaid change. That might have been too too high of a hill to climb. We might have, however, gotten statewide blind insurance pools, blind high-risk insurance pools. We probably would have gotten a repeal of the individual mandate. We probably we should be getting now. Yeah, we probably <laughs> would have already had the ability to sell non-conforming Obamacare or non-conforming insurance policies in the private market. We would probably have a piece of legislation that said, your age HSA could be used to buy to pay for fee for service medical services, but yeah. we don't have any of that because it was all piled into a comprehensive bill. And this isn't that hard to explain to people. Why are they so afraid, right? Why can't you go in front of the American people and say, "Yes, we are going to change this current state we're in, where every single piece of legislation has to have sixty votes to get through here"? Because that is not what don't the Constitution change intended. that. The, all of these angry people should be directing their attention to getting that rule changed because right now you want to know how many senators in the United States Senate support obliterating the 60 vote rule 
Zero. Zero support that. None. Not Mike Lee, not Ted Cruz, not Rand Paul, not Ron Johnson. None of I, them. I, I guess I just don't get it. None yeah. of them support. Yeah. Not, none of the Democrats support it. None of the Republicans support it. To, to Trump's credit, he tweet, his tweet about the filibuster was great because it finally brought some attention on this. The, this 60-vote rule, imagine... If state government had to be bound by a supermajority, Act 10 never would have happened. Concealed carry never would have happened. None of the Walker tax cuts would have happened. None of the budget changes would have happened. Nothing. No school choice expansion would have happened. None of it would have happened in our state. I think, I mean, if you're right, that no senators want that. That tells you, I think, how frightened Republicans always are. And look at this tax reform. The fact that they went out of their way to not cut top rates, and it's even going to be an increase, as you pointed out, because Mm -hmm. they didn't even want the people in the top brackets to get the benefit of the lower brackets going down, because some of their income is taxed. Because the Democrats were accusing them of tax cuts for the rich. They created a brand new idea in our tax law that I don't think we've ever had before, where we're going to add on top of that so you don't get your lower bracket. Cut and what's going on right now? The Democrats are still in front of every camera saying this is a massive tax cut for the rich. It's a big sellout to the rich. I had Dave Bonds. Why do these I, Republicans never learn? Ever? I had Dave Bonds now from National Review who said Nancy Pelosi the next day, if the Republicans said the top 1% of income earners will pay 100% of the taxes and everybody else will pay no taxes, Nancy Pelosi would be out the next day talking about <laughs> how the, the poor people got screwed in the yeah, process. Exactly. And Anyway, we're out of time here. Judd Sanborn, thank you for coming in uh, on the program. Thanks for having me. Everybody will see you tomorrow.